0: Man, thank you guys so much for encouraging me and my family this morning. I appreciate that. Like Steve said, we look forward to coming and being a part and enjoy being here and look forward to being able to see all of your smiling faces and uh, some of you smiling a little more today than uh, you have been recently. Maybe it's the cooler weather, I don't know. But we're so glad to see you and have you be a part of our time together. And I want you to know that our time just doesn't stop when we finish here in this room. Uh, Once we're done in here, uh, we'll be spreading out all over our campus to uh, enjoy some different classes with one another. You can find those on the back of your glory, praise, and honor. My, many different classes for you to choose from, not only today, but also all during the week. We have different classes that are going on here, different times of study and fellowship, different small groups for you to be a part of. Uh, but when we finish in here, we'll have the opportunity uh, to go and to be a part of some further study, if you'd like to do that, some, some fellowship with one another. And so we encourage you to take advantage and, um, and be a part of that. Uh, you know, it is... It's the Halloween season and coming up in a couple of weeks we're going to be having our trunk or treat. That's going to be going on and so you saw out in the front as you were pulling in today all of our parking attendants. They had the Mickey hands. They're getting in the in, in the false spirit mood and so we appreciate those guys and gals helping us out. Some of you might really be into to, to the horror movies though during this time. Do, do we got anybody that just loves horror movies? Anybody just really enjoy that? Weird people right over here. I mean, these are people that say, yes, I will pay money to be scared. I mean, that's what these people are saying. I can remember as a kid growing up and going to the haunted houses and how that you would you, you would go through those with your eyes closed. You wouldn't see a thing. But if everybody else screamed, you would scream as well, right? Uh, but we pay to be We pay to be frightened for some reason. Now, some of you might have already gone to see a a recent movie that's out. Uh, Maybe you saw the original back in the 70s, but now there is a new Halloween movie that's out with this guy right here, Michael Myers, okay? I don't know um, if any of you are, are Halloween fans and you've watched those movies with Jamie Curtis through the years or not, but you will see a lot of these masks coming up in a few weeks. A lot of people are going to be walking around uh, hey, trivia, uh, true story, this is free for you. When they made this movie back in the late 70s, they were trying to figure out what mask they were going to use for this particular character. And somebody, I believe, in the production unit or props department went to a local store and bought a Captain Kirk from Star Trek mask and cut out, made wider eyes and, and, and worked on it and everything. And so that's the Michael Myers mask. Those of you that remember Captain Kirk and, and Star Wars, that's how they came up with this, with this creepy mask now for Michael Myers. It's actually the captain of the Enterprise. Who knew, right? Now some of you, this might not be what, what scares you. Maybe it's this. Maybe this scares you during this time, right? How many people are scared by clowns? We got any clown people here? I tried to find a happy clown. I tried to find a happy clown so that you wouldn't be uh, too frightened. Don't want anybody getting up during the service today and, and having to leave. So quickly, we'll go past that. How about this? Anybody frightened by, by spiders? Have you ever checked under your pew? I mean, these pews have been here a long time. And (laughs) I know some of you right now, you're like, can we just get chairs? You're going to go to the elders. We want chairs in the auditorium. No more pews. We don't want any more of those. (laughs) Maybe spiders don't scare you. Maybe some of you are scared by this, though. Um. Yeah, see, I got a hand up in the back. They're like, yeah, I know. I know. Tennessee, I, last week you were so excited because, you know, you'd beaten Auburn. And we, I told you that we had given you guys grace. And, and that grace lasted about all the way through the time you, you guys ran through the T. And then it was, just, it was just over. So here, I, I don't want you to be afraid of that anymore. We'll put that aside. But here's something that a lot of people are scared of. Do you believe that? People are actually afraid of grace. Yeah. And if I had to guess, some of you here this morning are afraid of it. Afraid of grace. I told you last week that one of my fears, as we've been talking about grace all year long is that we will come to the end of 2018 and have all of these different lessons, have studied all of these different texts, have talked about story upon story of grace, and yet there be no change in your life. No change in mine. No change in the the attitude of the church family. That we could talk about grace over and over and over, and yet it still be something that we either try to avoid, we just take for granted... Or maybe that we even, maybe even try to run from. It was back in February, if you were here then, that I did a lesson and had this hula hoop. Some of you might remember that. And we talked about how that there is this mindset oftentimes that you come to Christ and you accept the grace that he gives you. And you shout from the rooftops that you have been saved by grace. But then you live... As if in order to maintain that grace, well, it's all up to you. That it's given to you, kind of like this hula hoop. And you have your salvation, and the goal is to keep this hula hoop up, and to keep it spinning, and to keep everything going just right, in order that you might continue to experience the grace of God. And guess what? There are some people who are really good at keeping this hula hoop going. I mean, some of you are really good hula hoopers. And you can do God's grace. And you can do obedience. And you can sacrifice. And you are generous. And you are focused on scripture. And you're an individual that, that gets up and goes to bed each night with the thought of Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit there in your life. And you are great hula hoopers. And then there's others that just can't seem to keep it up like me. Ever tried this? (laughs) Hang on. I think somebody tried to get in the way of my obedience to God. Has that ever happened to you? That you get everything going just fine and somebody comes up, there, there's something that takes place in your life. Maybe it's, maybe it's the actions of a family member. Maybe it's just something that happens within our society and you get so upset and you get so angry and all of a sudden the obedience that you had been living, the way that you've been putting God first, you put that aside because you just get so upset and you say, well, you know what? If it hadn't have been for the way that my mom treated me, then I probably would be faithful to God today. If it hadn't been for the divorce, I know I would have been closer to the Lord. If it hadn't been for the way those church people acted. Because you had the hula hoop going and then somebody stepped in. And what happened? Maybe you've picked it up. Maybe you've picked it up and and tried again. Maybe Maybe you are one of those individuals that you've picked this up multiple times. You're sitting in here this morning and you're like, you know what? I have dropped my hula hoop I don't know how many times and I picked it up and kept trying. (sighs) Fail, right? So I guess I can't be saved. I guess I can't have God's grace. I can't have it because I can't keep the hula hoop going. See, grace is able to save us, we say, but it's not able to sustain us. Is that kind of how you feel? See, last week we talked about our cynicism. And we talked about being at the intersection of grace and me and how we needed to come to grips with the fact that Jesus actually came to save me, that I can be saved by grace. And, and there are many of us who are here today that we still struggle with that idea that, you know what, that God's grace, it can, it can get through even the, the worst of my sins, And we asked last week, do we truly believe in the grace of God? Well, today we've got to have another conversation. And that conversation stems from all of our hula hooping. And this conversation is going to be directed to all of us hula hoopers out there. Do we trust grace? Do we trust grace? Is grace actually enough? I mean, we hear all the lessons we've studied and we say, you know what, it's, that's all well and good, but I'm not sure that I can trust grace. Because after all, you've seen me try to hula hoop and I'm not that good. So what is it that I am going to do? And so here's kind of the route that we go. We decide to hedge our bets. We decide to hedge our bets and we embrace a Jesus plus theology. You see, I'm not going to be able to keep that hula hoop up. I'm not going to be able to live in a way that is always going to honor God. I know that. And so here's what I do. I decide to go with a Jesus plus theology that says, Jesus plus my prayer life is going to keep me right with God. That Jesus plus my giving is going to keep me right. That Jesus plus my worship is going to make sure that everything is, is good. Now the problem with all of that as you can see, is that none of these things really fit very well, right? But but we try. We really do. Because we think that this somehow is going to help us. Because we know we can't keep the hula hoop going. We know we can't live righteously. We get that. We sin. And so here's what we do. We'll just find something else that will help save us. And so it's going to be our attempts at at righteous service. It's going to be our attempts at, at, at doing things the way that God wants them to be done. And we're going to do our best at it. And we know they don't fit good. But Jesus plus all these things are going to work out. And you say, you know what? The preacher looks pretty ridiculous up here right now. Not nearly as ridiculous as you and I look to God. When we stand clothed in Christ... And yet hold on to our acts of righteousness and say, Lord, you will save me because I have Jesus plus. Do you have a Jesus plus theology? Is that who you are? Paul addressed this idea in a letter to a group of Jesus followers. And I want you to open up your Bibles to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5, we're going to spend the remainder of our time there. And I want us to walk through a number of verses here today. And I want you to listen closely to what the Apostle Paul has to say. As he talks about this idea of can we actually trust that God's grace is enough for us. Galatians chapter 5 and verse 1, he said, it "Is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then... And do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. You see, these individuals had heard the message of Christ at the intersection of grace and me. They had come face to face with the truth that Jesus came to save sinners. But now Paul is astonished. He was astonished to find out that they were quickly deserting the one who had called them. And he says, you've been called to live this life of grace in Christ. And now you are turning to a different gospel which really is no gospel at all because evidently some people have come around throwing you into confusion and they're trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. He says, I shared with you good news, but what you're trying to live is not it. See, the first followers of Jesus were Jewish. But Paul had been going around inviting Gentiles or or non-Jews into God's family. The Jews had the Ten Commandments and over 600 other laws and from their way of thinking Jesus was just an extension of Judaism. I mean it made sense. He was the Jewish Messiah. And after all hadn't he come and said that he did not come to destroy the law and the prophets but actually to fulfill them. So it just made sense in their mind. If you want to be a follower of Jesus you first need to be a follower of Moses. They just assumed that you must be Jewish before you can be Christian. And it makes sense if you're a Jew, right? But what if you're not Jewish? What if you're Greek? What if you have never heard of the Ten Commandments? What if you've never heard of, of Moses? What if you were a Gentile living in these, this area of Galatia and you had heard about the message of Jesus Christ and you had walked away from idols, worship, and you'd walked away from all of this, fault, all these false guys that have been in your society. You have embraced Jesus as Savior, and now you're being told something totally different. You see, there were these individuals that had come along that said, look, you've got to slow your roll. Because first you've got to memorize some things and then there's these rules that you're going to have to follow and you've got to clean up some things and then after you do all that, plus have a surgery, then you can be a church person. That sounds great if you're Jewish. But Paul had a different understanding of the good news of Jesus Christ. In another letter, this one to a gentleman named Titus, he says, look, the grace of God has appeared to all people and it has appeared bringing salvation See, grace comes bringing salvation in our hands. And that salvation is more than just forgiveness. Forgiveness is actually a means to the end that God is trying to achieve. Because in the meaning of Hebrew, or in Hebrew, the meaning of salvation is to be broad and to become spacious and to be enlarged. It carries the sense of deliverance from an existence that's cramped and compressed and confined. That's what salvation is supposed to be. See, God forgives you So that you can share in his holy life. And God forgives me. So that I don't have to live a life that is compressed and confined and and cramped. Now do you understand why Jesus when he began his ministry would, would read the words of the prophet Isaiah and say the spirit of the Lord is on me? For he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, the blind will see, and that the oppressed will be set free. Salvation is freedom. And Paul pleads with the Christians living throughout Galatia not to throw that freedom away. He says, look, you've been given freedom. Don't go back and now try to put on something that is not going to save you. Look at verse 2. Paul says, listen, I'm going to tell you this. If you're counting on circumcision to make you right with God, then Christ will be of no benefit to you. Circumcision was, for the Jew, that symbol of covenant relationship with the Father. The covenant relationship with Yahweh, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and Jacob. In their mind, you just couldn't be a Christian unless you were Jewish. Jewish. And since you Gentiles, you didn't have the surgery when you were eight days old like all the other good Jewish boys did, then you must now have to do that in order to be saved. You have to have this surgery in order to become a Christian. Now that meant in the new members classes, it was mostly just women and children because the guys were like, I don't think so. That sounds great, but not for me. I mean, we have been told, they said, we've been told that circumcision is the symbol of being right with God. And now, Paul, you're coming saying that it means Nothing. And Paul says, look, if you're counting on this symbol to keep you right with God, then it has no benefit to you. If you're counting on this action, if you're, if you're counting on this act of obedience to make you right with God, he said, then you're missing the whole point. Now, we have not been told that, that circumcision will make us right with God. That's not the message that we have been given. But we have been told that worship will make us right with God. We have. There's some of you who are here in this room this morning who have been taught that unless you worship God in the right way with the right acts, then you just can't, you can't be saved. And we haven't been taught that circumcision will make us right with God, but we have been told that our beliefs will. If I believe the right things about specific things, such as church organization, or the function of baptism, or the role of women, or instrumental music. Some in this room have been taught that unless you hold the correct beliefs on the correct issues, then you just can't be saved. And we haven't been taught that circumcision will save us, but we have been taught that church will. Some in this room have been taught that unless you're a part of the right denomination of Christian faith, you just can't be saved. Doesn't matter what you do. It's just not going to happen. Doesn't matter how much you love the Lord. Doesn't matter how obedient you are in other areas. If you're not a part of the right church, you just cannot be saved. And understand, it is because of this that some of us become very concerned. Very concerned whenever there are changes to our worship assemblies or Whenever you hear lessons that challenge some of, some of your long-held beliefs. Or whenever you feel like maybe that we're beginning to look like other churches. Because in your mind, to alter the order or acts of your worship. Or to change a long-held belief. Or to move away from practices unique to your church heritage. Is to risk forfeiting your salvation. Because you've been told that it's all about a Jesus plus theology. You've got Jesus, but in order to hedge your bets, you've also got some other things that you have put on and held to. And Paul says, listen, if this is what you're going to depend on for your salvation, your worship, your heritage, your beliefs on issues, your circumcision, then Christ is of no benefit to you. Christ is of no benefit to me if I depend on something else for my salvation. That's what Paul says. He says the sacrifice of Jesus was so great and the grace and mercy that was poured out was so thorough that if now you're going to try to depend on something else in order to help you feel as if you are right with God he says you need to understand it's of no benefit to you but if this is the way that you're going to live then you better go ahead and just follow every regulation in the whole law of Moses he says go ahead and do it all because you're going to have to get everything right and it was a few months ago that I made what was a very bold statement I guess I said that everybody's going to die wrong about something. And I don't know if you've thought a lot about that since then, but everybody is going to die wrong about something, some some belief or some some practice, something that you just knew that that God wanted you to do or, or something that you just knew that God didn't want you to do. And you've got these different beliefs and you've got these different patterns of religious thought that have been handed down to you maybe from parent or grandparent or from certain preacher or from certain school and yet we're all going to die wrong about something. And it doesn't matter how many things we try to cover ourselves with, we can't cover ourselves enough. Paul says, look, if you're going to let yourself be circumcised, he said, you just might as well go in and follow the whole law. Forget about Jesus, because you're not depending on him at all. So a couple of questions naturally come to mind. If worshiping doesn't save me, then why worship? And if tithing doesn't save me, then why give? Right? And if my morality doesn't save me, then watch out, because here I come. Why should I engage in any religious acts if those religious acts are not essential to my salvation? Well, I think the answer is because, according to Scripture, being saved by grace means that you are clothed with Christ. You see, you're not, you're not clothed with your acts of righteousness. You're clothed with Christ. Because all of you who are in Christ Jesus are there because of your faith, Paul would write earlier to the Galatians. And he said that for all of you who have been baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. And so now because I look like Christ I want to act like Christ and I want to love like Christ and I want to forgive like Christ and I want to follow like Christ and I want to be near Christ. And so I worship and I give and I serve and I walk away from sin because I am running toward Christ. And these pursuits Draw me closer to the center of my salvation. Do you understand? Do you see how these things begin to work? The time that we come together just like this each and every week. The time that you spend in service to your fellow man. In time that you spend in the Word. Those nights that you spend on your knees in prayer. Those are not designed in order that you might have a life jacket in case Jesus is not enough. Those are designed to draw you closer to Christ. To pull you closer to the center. You see, I don't take communion each week in order to stay saved. I join you in communion because it draws me closer to my Savior. And I don't try to recreate a first century worship pattern in order to be right with God. I participate in centuries-old disciplines that focus me on God's righteousness. Because my religious practice flows from my grace experience. And because I've experienced the grace of God, I want to participate in those things that are going to draw me closer to that grace. You see, I've been saved by grace and I live by grace and participating in activities that enrich my soul and bless others. It's just a way to draw me deeper still. Here's another question. And it goes in line so well with with what we heard in our communion thoughts. You say, Chris, if we live by grace, won't that just give us the freedom to engage in sin? Josh, that's what you said, right? That's the question that comes. Does knowing that I am set free from the consequences of sinful activity allow or encourage me to actually sin more like some get-out-of-jail-free card? And it's as if Paul actually anticipates this question. Because there in Galatians 5 and verse 13 he says, You have been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters, but don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. Can grace be abused? Absolutely. Are we to be abusers of grace? Paul says, God forbid. That is not the purpose of grace. In another letter, he continues the idea that grace frees us and grace also directs us. Again, going back to Titus chapter 2. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. And it teaches us, listen, to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our God and Savior Jesus Christ. My motivation for righteousness and holiness changes when I come in contact with the grace at the intersection of grace and me. No longer do I obey God out of fear, but out of reverent awe with thanksgiving. Because you need, and if you've been writing things down in your glory, praise, and honor, I encourage you to mark this down. Grace is not a license to sin. It is a tutorial in righteousness. It's a tutorial that teaches us what it means to be Christ-like. It's a tutorial that shows us this is what you're intended to be. This is the person that God has called you to be. Christ's disciples are expected to reflect Christ's character. You can't get around it. You read through the story of Scripture and you see that there's an expectation that God has for those who are his people. And we have been redeemed by grace in order that we might live by grace and somehow be able to better visualize and attain that picture of the person that God created us to be. But on those days, when I look more like me than I look like Jesus, scripture says, well, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He said, well, how can that be? It's not because of a life jacket. But it's because that I have been clothed with Christ. So back to our text in Galatians chapter 5. He says in verse 4, If you are trying to make yourselves right with God by keeping the law, you have been cut off from Christ. You have fallen away from God's grace. Have you ever thought about this? That for us to try to make ourselves right with God actually distances us from Christ. See, the more that we try to to put on, the more that we try to, to accumulate, the more different acts, the more different ideas, the way in which we try to present ourselves to God worthy actually serves in the opposite. Because it shows that we are being distanced from Christ. Falling from grace in this context in Galatians has nothing to do with sinful living. And that's how I used to understand the idea. That if someone had fallen from grace it was because they had left the Lord they had gone out and they decided they were just going to live for themselves. And they were going to live according to all of those pleasures of the flesh from the past. And yet that's not what Paul says. Paul says that you have fallen from grace when you are trusting in something else to save you besides Jesus. When you have a Jesus plus theology. And here's my fear, that church buildings are filled with self-righteous Christians who, confident in their own righteousness, have no clue that they've fallen from grace. And anticipate that their Jesus plus theology is pleasing to God. Paul said, we who live by the Spirit eagerly wait to receive by faith the righteousness God has promised to us. Folks, righteousness comes from God, not from ourselves. Not from anything we can put on. Not from anything that we can do. For when we place our faith in Christ Jesus, there is no benefit in being circumcised or being uncircumcised, Paul said. He said, look, it's not about this law or that one. It's not about this religious heritage. It's not about this act of obedience. He says, what is important is faith expressing itself through love. He said, this is what's important the faith that we have in God's grace being demonstrated in the way in which we treat others. Because grace begets grace, begets grace, begets grace. Guys, we're all going to die wrong about something. You're going to die with a wrong belief, a wrong practice, a wrong direction. And you say, how can I ever be Sure. And it is out of pure motives that that I believe that we have gone and, and tried to put on every kind of life jacket that we can find. Knowing it doesn't fit, but wanting so bad to be pleasing to God because we're so terrified that grace is not enough. We're afraid. And we hear it in our prayers. Maybe you've heard individuals say before at the end of a prayer, and Lord, in the end, if we have been found faithful, save us. We won't. We won't be found faithful. That's the whole story of Scripture. The whole story of Scripture is how man is unable to save himself. And I'm not talking about turning our back on God's salvation and never seeking the path that Christ lays out. I'm talking about trying and failing to be a faithful child of the king. You try all you want to, and you can dot every I that you can cross that you can dot and every T that you can cross, and still it's not enough. It doesn't fit. It doesn't fit. You see that hula hoop method that's there on the floor says that Jesus saves me but I must keep myself saved. And so we go and adopt all kinds of different life vest in order to try somehow to make ourselves right with God. But Paul says that whole life vest and hula hoop method whether it be circumcision for the Gentiles or or singing acapella for us only serves to distance a person from the saving grace of Christ if you trust more in your actions and in your obedience than you do in the grace that came through Christ. And if you're still afraid by what I'm saying this morning, will you look one more time at Titus chapter 3, beginning in verse 4? says, when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. Not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs having the hope of eternal life. Now as we close, let me wade in the weeds just a minute for you. The word where it says there that we are saved, that we have been saved by the grace of God, in the original form in which it was written, in that Greek language, it's written in something called an aorist indicative active tense. An aorist is a verb tense that represents a point in time action, and the indicative mood is a statement of fact that something actually occurred from the writer's perspective and so Paul is writing to Titus and he is saying look there is something that actually took place at a point in time and when that indicative mood when when that aorist tense is in the indicative mood it denotes an action that occurred in the past and Paul writes and he tells Titus look God has saved you He said, God has saved you. It is a fact. The question is, will I trust the same grace to sustain me until I come face to face with Jesus? See, if I were to ask the majority of you in here this morning, if God has saved you, I'm sure the majority of you would say yes. And you could tell me about that moment when you came to saving faith. And you could, you could tell me about the repentance that took place in your life. You could tell me about standing in front maybe of a, of a congregation just like this one saying, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And you could tell me about... Your baptism, you could tell me about how, how your family was there with you, how it was a private moment, how it was something that took place with, with tons of people around at some youth event or, or camp. I could ask you, has God saved you? You say, yes. But what's keeping you saved? Have you adopted a Jesus plus theology, feeling that it's all up to Jesus and you. If that's where you are this morning, then Paul says you have fallen from grace. And I know it's scary, I know it's scary to take off all of those works of righteousness, in all of that obedience, in all of that knowledge, in all of those things that you have held to. Now remember I said I don't want you to throw those away because those are things that draw you closer to the to the center, closer to your salvation. But what I want you to do this morning is understand that at the intersection of grace and me has to come the the understanding that grace is enough. It's enough and that is a freeing feeling because now I don't have to walk around looking so silly now I don't have to walk around looking so silly before God holding on to all of my righteousness and all of my rightness and all the things that I have done now I can throw them all away and say Jesus I'm just gonna trust you that your sacrifice on the cross is great enough to cover all of my sins and that your sacrifice on the cross is able to sustain me to the day that I am face to face with grace itself. And then I live in grace and I share that grace. That's a hard lesson. That's a hard lesson to teach. It's a hard lesson to hear, and it's an even a harder lesson to live. If you'd like to talk more about this subject, I'd love to have conversation with you. I'd love to, to talk with you today, I'd love to talk with you tonight, I'd love to talk with you sometime during the week. I'm going to be out in the, in the back, I'll be in our lobby, and, and just come out and see me. Say, hey, I want to talk to you about this more. You've brought up some things I never thought about. I'm really struggling with some of this and maybe I've been fearful of grace. I'd love for us to talk about it because one lesson like this is not enough to truly be able to dig down and to to discover truly the freedom that God offers. So I'd love to have a conversation with you. And I'd love to rejoice today with you if you have come to a conclusion, you know what, that you're in need of the grace of God that you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and you're not going to try to hold to any of your own righteousness and you're not going to be held back by any of your own sin. Instead, you're going to run to him saying, Lord, I need you and I want you and I'm going to depend on you. We'll rejoice as you are baptized into Christ, clothing yourself, as Scripture says, with Christ, putting away all of those other things. It'll be a great morning. Maybe that's what you want to do today. Or maybe what you need to do is just as we sing, to stand and as the loudest you can thank God for the grace that has saved you. Why don't we do that together? Let's stand and sing.